Tuesday edition getting underway on the home of Sooner fans, the Ref Radio Network. Great to have you with us. Thanks again to our sponsor during our opening hour last year, Home Comfort Systems. Great job they'll do for you. They've done it for us at uh, my place, and they'll do the same for you. If you're looking for repair uh, or to replace or maintain your air conditioning system, call Lasher Home Comfort Systems. They're family-owned and operated. Great Sooner, great company. Tim Lasher, you can give them a call at 579-3113. That's 405 405- 579-3113, Oklahoma, West Virginia tonight, 6 o'clock at the LNC. The Sooners must win out, must win a game, I think, at the Big 12 tournament. It could very well be West Virginia in the 8-9 matchup. So uh, senior night for the Sooners tonight as well. Interesting senior night, Parker, because you definitely have Marvin Johnson. You have Ethan Shagwa, you have Jordan Goldwire, and uh, Porter Moser was talking yesterday about the Mo Gibson situation because he's got a COVID year, uh, and it sounded like he was going to go through the festivities because you never know, he could go overseas or something like that. That could be a possibility if he wants to do that. But he was saying, you know, we may just do a, a, you know, a ceremony, and we have to do a ceremony next year. We can do that too. So it's going to be ist- mm. interesting. Uh, what happens with senior night tonight? We I, definitely know Marvin Johnson, Shagwa, Ethan Shagwa, and Jordan Goldwire tonight for OU. I tell you what, Mike, that makes me believe that Mo Gibson's not going to be back next year. It really does, and I understand that you know Porter Moser wants to sell that as oh, you know, we don't we don't know, you know, if if he comes back next year, we'll just do it all over again. I don't think you go through senior night, Mike, unless you are absolutely certain that you're moving on. Which is, it's strange to me because you can't imagine at this point in time that Mo Gibson is in a place where he's going to get drafted in the NBA. And if you want to go play overseas, fine. But I think with the season he's had, an extra year in the Crimson and Cream would A, do this team a lot of good, and B, I think it would do him a lot of good. And so that's a, that's a very interesting development, and yeah, I, I understand. To see what I don't think they've made a final decision based on what I heard Porter say. I guess we'll find out tonight for sure, right? And uh, I I kind of like the way you're leaning. If you know uh, Porter again said, well, you know, here's the deal: he could play overseas or something like that, and you can make some good money playing basketball overseas sure. professionally, no doubt. And if he decides to do that. Maybe it's wise that he goes through senior night festivities tonight with his family and gets honored. But, you know, if he comes back, Porter Moses said, eh, no big deal, we'll do it again. So, we'll see. But it's going to be very curious. We know that Tanner Groves has another year. He's coming back. Elijah Harkless is coming back. Obviously, Jacob Groves, uh, you know, we knew that uh, he was a year behind his brother anyway. So, But it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Mo Gibson for sure. I think he's a guy, again, if he wants to go overseas, can make some money. Maybe he ends up getting back to the States and plays in the G League. And he's a really good shooter, right? That he is. Uh, It's been hot and cold. Certainly has been better in Norman. But the bottom line is this is a huge game for Oklahoma tonight. As we said, uh, their hopes of the NCAA tournament, there is a very small, puny light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, and the Sooners are trying to get there, but to do that, man, you've you've got to win three games, I think. I think as I think about Umoja Gibson and his career arc in Norman, I see parallels to the Austin Reeves situation. And that's part of the that's part of why I think it would do Mo Gibson so much good to come back for another year. Because consider for a moment 
the path that Austin Reeves followed, right? He was a transfer from Wichita State. When he was a shocker, he was pretty much just a spot-up shooter. He was a guy that was a, you know, they they call him the three-and-D type of player. And when Austin Reeves got to Oklahoma, by necessity, he had to take on more of an active role as an on-ball guard. And it got to the point where towards the end of Austin Reeves' junior season, he started to get good at creating his own shot. All of a sudden, that was the facet of his game that kind of came into focus, was the ability to create his own shot. By the time his senior year rolled around, he had honed that aspect of his game to the point where he was arguably Oklahoma's best offensive weapon, Mike. And so, to me, I think, I think Mo Gibson's getting to that point as well. He's gotten very good over the course of the last couple of months at starting to create his own shot. You give him another year to really refine that aspect of his play, I think Emoji Gibson could be a guy that, much like Austin Reeves, catches on with an NBA team somewhere right out of college. Yeah, and uh, Austin Reeves has been really good for the Lakers. Yes, he uh, has. No doubt. He surprised me, you know, number one, making the roster. Number two, he's had uh, game-winning shots for them. He's played really well uh, for the Lakers. He's done a nice job. And and for uh, you're right, when – when uh, Austin Reeves came to OU, he was known, man, Austin Reeves, he's going to be their spot-up shooter. That's his reputation uh, when he initially came. That was his reputation initially when he came from Wichita State as a three-point shooter. And he did develop the ability, ability to create and get his own shot. Uh, and that obviously helped get him to the NBA where he is with the Lakers right now. Mo Gibson uh, – can create his own shot. It's a little bit different. He doesn't take it to the hoop as much as yeah, Austin yeah, Reeves yeah. did, but he can separate and step back and create some separation for a three. He can drive a little bit, but not not to the extent that Austin Reeves could. But it'll be interesting to see what happens tonight. The bottom line is the Sooners need this win, and you may be thinking, man, West Virginia, they've lost, what, six in a row? Well, think about the last two games for West Virginia, three-point loss at Iowa State and a one-point loss at home to Texas. Uh, the Sooners did win the first meeting in Morgantown, 72-62. That was the great night for Tanner Groves and a big night for Marvin Johnson as well. Tanner Groves had 21 points and six rebounds. The Sooners really played well in that matchup. Porter Moser knows that uh, West Virginia is going to play hard. They're last place in the league, obviously, at 3-13 and in the conference. Uh, but Porter Moser says, no way the Sooners, they, they can't afford to overlook West Virginia. So if you watch the Texas-West Virginia game, like – the flow of it, like we've done a couple times. I mean, it is a high, high level, intense game. There's no way that you, if you didn't know anything about anything and you watched that game, that you would say that like West Virginia, you know, is anything but a top three team in this league. That's the way they looked. I mean, they're, they're playing so hard. Um, there was some high level physicality, some high level plays in that game. Um, so, you don't even think about where they stand. You just think about, you know, you got Taz Sherman and McNeil, but then you got Malik Curry playing so well. Uh, you know, so many of the bigs are so physical and strong, taking you off the dribble, ISO on you. But I just, just the, the competitive, physical competitive nature of them um, is just was just a high, high level. 
Well, and again, the bottom line for Oklahoma is this team's not good, good enough to overlook anybody. You can't take for granted, hey, you're playing the last place team in the league in the Big 12, you're playing at home, you should win this game. Oklahoma absolutely should win this game. If they play well, they will win this game. But to waltz in there and think that you've just got an automatic W against West Virginia would be a huge mistake for the Sooners. Uh, and again, they have Kansas State on the road at Bramlage coming up on um, – on Saturday, and uh, think about what K State did, man. Tech had to go on a six nothing run to uh, to beat K State in that matchup last night without Noel for the Wildcats, seventy three sixty eight. And Kansas State has lost seven Big Twelve games by five points or less. So, uh, your odds of going to Bramlage and winning—I don't know, maybe thirty percent, maybe twenty five percent—would be my guess this weekend. Yeah, that's a, that's a little low, I would say. Are you going forty percent? Where are you going? I. Well, I think it depends on if they win tonight. Let me get back to you tomorrow okay. with an answer All on right. that. But I would say right now I'm at least at 35 40%. Yeah, and, and Oklahoma needs to win out, there's no doubt, and uh, probably win a game in the Big 12 tournament. And then, you know, maybe, maybe you can get that bid at the tournament. But you're going to need a lot of help. There's no question about it. All right, as for senior night tonight, Porter Moser, memories of senior night, what are you expecting this evening? Well, I mean, especially if you played the game, you know there's something about playing your last home game, you know, playing in front of your, your last home crowd. And uh, there's a lot of emotions going on, um, knowing that you're, you're playing, because um, that's that's just – I always think about that my, when I was playing, you know. So um, for us, though, like when you're still trying to keep your, your life on, that, that's going to be an app. That, you're going to talk about that later. Right now, we're just talking about let's get another one. Let's stay in this conversation. Let's keep, you know, so it's been so much about um, West Virginia. But uh, I, I just think about going back and put myself in their shoes, having your last home game. There you go. Sooners and the Mountaineers tonight, ESPN2 uh, for the telecast. Tip time, 6 o'clock at the Lloyd Noble Center. You have another game of the Big 12 tonight. Kansas and TCU will play in Fort Worth, 7 o'clock on ESPN+. Plus. Big win for Baylor last night. Impressive what the Bears are doing with the injuries they've had to deal with. Uh, number three in the country, they beat Texas at the drum last night, 68-61. Baylor trending in the right direction. As I mentioned, number 12, Texas Tech remains undefeated at home, but they had a hard-fought game with Kansas State, beat the Wildcats, 73-68 was the final there. So, uh, going to be interesting to see what happens at the LNC tonight after the Sooners survived in overtime in Bedlam on Saturday, regained their composure and beat the Cowboys and again, uh, you know, just go forward, try and get as many wins as you can. You, you can't afford another loss uh, if you're Oklahoma. And still, that certainly doesn't guarantee anything for the Sooners in, in terms of where they stand. 5-11 and 11 in the league and 15-14 and 14 overall. All right. Uh, thank you to Tim Lasher. Lasher, Home Comfort Systems, a great company, a legendary Sooner. I mean, how many, how many field goals did Tim Lasher make for you? Some big ones. Nebraska, Oklahoma State, he's going to come through with his company for you as well. Lasher Home Comfort Systems, 405-579-3113. I think they're going to play this tonight. If they do, it'll be awesome. Uh, this is just this is this has become the uh, it's the, the meme. It's the go to. It definitely is. All right, let's talk a little sooner football when we get back here on the ref. Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon, Moody Blues, right? 
How's everybody doing? Hope you're doing well. Welcome back. Steelman and Thune at noon here on the Ref Radio Network, the home of Sooner fans. Huge weekend, huge recruiting weekend for OU uh, this weekend. And uh, also March 26th is another big day to remember for Oklahoma. We've talked uh, ad nauseum about a lot of the national people who are just looking you know, and not doing a deep dive into what's going on with Oklahoma football and deciding that, man, Oklahoma going to the SEC, they lost their genius, and, man, they are in some trouble. They are in some trouble. Well, there are some people who don't feel that way. Chris Landry, LandryFootball.com, former coach, administrator, uh, and as a scout, was on with uh, Tyler and Teddy on the rush the other day, and he said he feels pretty good about Oklahoma's future with Brent Venables. I feel more comfortable. It, it doesn't guarantee anything. I feel more comfortable now about Oklahoma going into the SEC, whenever that officially happens, with, with Brent than I do with Lincoln. You know, to me, Oklahoma under Lincoln always had a soft look to them. I thought they were good offensively. I didn't think they were. You've heard me say this. 20 times, and probably every time I've been on with you guys, they should look more, they should be more like Clemson. What I mean by that is they should have great defensive players up and down in Oklahoma because that's the type of program Oklahoma is. It wasn't under Lincoln. And the reason, in my view, was because everything with Lincoln was about how his offense looked. I thought Lincoln was a really good offensive mind. I thought he was an average football coach the head coach there you go on uh, the rush with teddy and tyler the other day and uh, you know that, that's what's so puzzling to me parker about OU is yes i understand when when you have baker mayfield and you have kyler murray and jalen Hurts and you have great receivers like diddy westbrook and cd lamb and uh you know you you've just had all these prolific offensive players winning Heismans or, you know, being in uh, in contention for Bolitnikoff Awards. I, I get it that the offense is going to get uh, the, the share, the lion's share of the attention, but it always baffled me. Oklahoma's been a great program for a long time. Why can't they attract better overall defensive talent? Uh, and one of the things we always heard was, well, all those guys are going to the SEC or Clemson which was basically an SEC program with, with when Dabo got it rolling. Um, so now, you know, you can recruit to the question is, when, when is OU going to get to the SEC? We still don't know the definitive date yet. But um, so that's kind of been taken away. But that, to me, again, Parker, has been the mystery. Why, why Oklahoma could be great on offense, because guess what? Those national championship teams, they were really good on offense and they were really good on defense. Why Oklahoma couldn't do that uh, recently during these great conference championship runs still is crazy to me. I don't know if Oklahoma figured that they were going to, and I don't know if Muleshoe figured that he was going to revolutionize the way that college football was played and the way that championship rosters were constructed, but the formula has been the exact same for decades, Mike. If there's a side of the football that can carry a program to a national title, it's not the offense, it's the defense. And so to me, when you look at the national championship teams that college football has produced over the past several years, and honestly over the past couple of decades, there's one that stands out, right? LSU in 2019. Arguably the greatest offense in the history of college football. And I understand that if you want to chalk that one up to 
the advent of the spread in the SEC and you want to put the credit on Joe Burrow's shoulders and you want to say, well, LSU really didn't need a defense to win that year because that offense was just that good, then great. But let's be clear about something. That's the exception, not the rule. You can't count on building the next 2019 LSU because you're going to get that type of team once in a generation. And what's far more effective than gunning for the type of lightning-in-a-bottle program and lightning-in-a-bottle team that you get once in a generation, Mike, what's going to be far more effective is building an elite core on defense and supplementing that with an offense that works in What's the word I'm looking for here? What's the chemistry term that I'm forgetting? I guess you could say concert or unison or I No, there's know. a very specific chemistry word from my sophomore year of high school that's somewhere embedded deep in my brain, and if I dig it up, I'll let you know. But Complimentary football. Exactly. There Complimentary football is the most basic, most fun- fundamental way to put this. You have to play complementary football. And that's not specific to one side of the ball. That's not specific to just the offense or just the defense. The offense and the defense have to complement one another. And at Oklahoma, under Muleshoe, that oftentimes wasn't the case. No, absolutely not. And again, I think this year, because uh, his attention was elsewhere, and uh, you know, I, I just think this this year's defense had more talent than the final stat showed. It was. It was a very inconsistent defense at times. They looked, well, there we go. That's what we're expecting. And then at other times, you're like, man, they're they're regressing. But you're going to see Perry on Winfrey. You're going to see Nick Benito. You're going to see Brian Asamoah. You're going to see DTY, guys like that playing in the National Football League and making some plays. Perry on Winfrey was the best defensive uh, prospect at the Senior Bowl. He he showed out and, uh, and was tremendous. So, uh, it was very disappointing. You think about Alabama, and yes, they've had great running backs, they've had great wide receivers, and they've been loaded on both sides of the ball. But what do they do? They won with Jay Coker and Greg McElroy and A.J. McCarron. Those aren't exactly Heisman Trophy uh, you know, type quarterbacks. because Well, they didn't win, but I'm saying they weren't really in the ballpark, right? Now, Mac Jones and Jalen Hurts or Tua, those are different stories, but you've got to have some defense, and that's what Sooner fans are hoping for. Maybe a little less glitz and glamour, but a lot more toughness and physicality. And here's the thing, Mike. You you brought up Mac Jones, and I think Mac Jones is a perfect example because I think Mac Jones is a guy that Alabama made. They made him look good at the quarterback position. Mac Jones isn't anything special, but – If you assemble talent around him, whereupon the responsibility for the success of the team doesn't fall squarely upon Mac Jones' shoulders and doesn't fall squarely upon the quarterback, then it takes a lot of pressure off him, allows him to really settle into his niche and find a groove, and you end up with an average quarterback from a physical perspective in a guy like Mac Jones suddenly having an outstanding season and taking your team all the way to the national championship like he did in 2020. The quarterback shouldn't be what you build your team around. Like, it should be the missing link. That once you put it into place, everything else kind of falls into place around it or has already been put in place around it. To me, you don't need an elite quarterback to win a national championship. But what you've always needed is at least a serviceable defense. If you look at the national champions over the last 15 years, I think there's maybe one team 
I want to say Florida State in 2013, they're ranked outside the national top 15 in total defense. Top 15. We're talking about the top 10% of college football right there. Yeah, and, and Oklahoma fans would kill to be in the top 15. And I think they're going to get there with Brent. I, I don't know if they'll do it this next season, but eventually they're going to get there. I, I just think this staff is uh, the kind of staff that is going to prioritize defense a lot more than the previous staff. Yeah, and Mac Jones, look, he had, a, he had an up-and-down rookie year. At times he looked great. It looked like he might be rookie of the year. And then at times, you know, he floundered a little bit. So we'll see. But, yeah, it's a lot easier. You look a lot better when you're throwing the ball to Devontae Smith and Jerry Judy, right? Exactly. Uh, I mean, because Bama has players at every position. Um, so tell me about uh, this weekend. What is a – with all these recruits coming uh, to campus this weekend – what is a realistic scenario that you think is going to happen in terms of commitments this weekend? I I would say expect multiple. I think Tyler and I set the over under at two point five. Yeah, yesterday. I heard that. And yeah. there's a there's a compelling case for either the over or the under. I think there will be two or three. And if I, you had to guess which two or three right now, you've got your crystal ball out there. I'm sure. What do you think is going to happen? Right I think now. Dylan Edwards is a very safe bet, a very safe bet, because you see all the Oklahoma crystal ball predictions in at 24-7 sports, including one for myself, uh, in favor of Oklahoma for Dylan Edwards. He was just on campus five weeks ago. You don't come back to campus this soon if you don't have the intention of right. making yeah. some sort of announcement. It sounds, or it sounds like at that. the very yes. least, to recruit others to the campus that you see as your future home. And so Dylan Edwards, in my eyes, is a very, very safe bet to be one of those guys. Beyond that, there's no clear answer. A couple names I threw out yesterday would be P.J. Adebaware, three-star edge rusher out of Kansas City. That is, He'll pick up his fourth star before long. That's a blue-chip guy, no question about it. Another guy would be Sam Omasigo, who's a three-star athlete out of Crandall, Texas. Man, we're going to have to get at the pronunciation guide, aren't we? I know, for real. But it's those types of guys where you look through their offer sheet and Oklahoma really, really stands out above the rest. And both of those guys have Michigan offers. P.J. Adebaware has a Georgia offer. So it's not as if Oklahoma is the only major player. But particularly for a guy like P.J., you consider his family dynamic and the fact that uh, he wants to say stay reasonably close to home. Oklahoma makes sense as a very logical fit for a guy like him. And so it's those types of players that you can foresee uh, shocking the general public with a commitment on a weekend like this. And, you know, when you mention three stars, people go, what? It's Oklahoma, man. What are you doing? It's a three star. Are you kidding me? Well... Uh, it looks to me like this staff is not going to just recruit by the number of stars. They're actually evaluating players. And I'm not saying the previous staff didn't do that. You have to evaluate. But uh, do you trust a guy like Brent Venables? Do you trust a guy like Todd Bates based on their track record? Miguel Chavis has been unbelievable in recruiting so far. Do you trust those guys, Ted Roof, to evaluate a defensive prospect or a prospect in general? Let's consider. Right? I know. There's there's some obvious bias in the public eye against three stars. But just to pick some examples here, let's go back at Oklahoma's signing class in 2022 and consider how many of those guys were three stars until their senior year. So at this point in time, you're looking at the 2023 class. They're at the exact same stage that many of these 2022 guys were in before they rose. So 
Jaden Gibson was a three-star. Nicholas Anderson was a three-star at this time last year. Kip Lewis was a three-star at this time last year, as was Jaden Rowe, Caden Helms, R. Mason Thomas. So at least, what, five, six guys right there that rose to four-star status after they started playing ball their senior year of high school. Yeah, so and you're so, saying these these kids that Oklahoma's offering that are threes now more than likely are going to be fours. That is correct. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I think this is a huge weekend for Brent. It's, uh, it's you know, uh, you, you talk about, uh, you know, steps in the process. This is, you know, getting the job, signing your name in the dotted line, getting to campus, having your introductory press conference, you know, getting the lay of the land and all that stuff. This is a huge, huge moment for Brent Venables early in his career coming up this weekend. All right, we're going to break right here, transition into a little Thunder basketball. I think things are looking up for Oklahoma City. They got dominated by the Kings last night, lost by 21. But you know what? Keep losing. You want to get Holmgren, Jabari Smith, Paulo Bancaro, one of those guys. And we'll talk to Brandon Rabar. I almost said Brandon Drum, Brandon Rabar, about it when we get back next year on The Ref. All right. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, on a Tuesday edition of Steel Man and Thune at noon. Brandon Rabar joining us to talk a little Oklahoma City Thunder basketball, Thunder Insider, joining us on the law offices of Rod Polson, Oklahoma Tax Resolution Line. And Brandon, uh, it was not a pretty uh, result last night. Sacramento wins by 21, 131 to 110. SGA, though, had an incredible game, 37 points, 7 boards, 10 assists, 3 steals. You talk about efficient, 12 of 16 from the floor, 3 of 3 from uh, three-point range. Uh, the Thunder without Josh Giddy continued uh, to be bothered with the hip injury. Olivier Saar had 12. Trey Mann had 11. Vit Krejci had 10 for Oklahoma City. Um, SGA has been remarkable since he's come back from uh, missing those 10 games so far. He's been great. Yeah, he misses 10 games with an ankle injury, comes back, the three games he scored 32, 36, and 37, and all of them really efficiently. You know, Mark Dagnall in a media call earlier today made a great point. You know, the Thunder are the worst three-point shooting team in the league, and yet SGA still gets to the rim at will, and he does it so efficiently. Theoretically, this should be, you know, the easiest team to help off of. Teams are clogging the paint, and SGA still is just scoring, you know, at an absurd rate. I mean, he's, he really is a, a truly special uh, scoring talent. And we saw it last night. You know, the game was tied at halftime. It was 59-59, and the uh, Kings went on a run. So bonus is really good in the second half. But, you know, this, this season is all about, you know, trying to get that top five pick and, and watching Shea and Josh Giddy and Trey Mann and Lou Dort develop. And uh, last night was, was kind of a – a great night for that because you see Shea look like a superstar up against the bonus and Fox. And yet it was kind of an important loss because the Kings are kind of, you know, a scary team if you're looking at the reverse standing. So it's kind of nice for the Kings to get a win and the Thunder to get a loss. Now, Alexei Pokashevsky, Brandon, a guy that uh, has demonstrated maybe over the course of his career at Oklahoma City that he's not outstanding at any one thing, but he's really good at a bunch of things. And you saw it in his stat line last night, nine points, eight rebounds, five assists. What, have you, what do you think so far about Poku's trajectory? Yeah, you know, it's, it's so funny because he's still one of the youngest players in the league. He's actually going to be younger than, than a lot of the rookies coming in this upcoming 
draft. I mean, that's that's how young he still is. Uh, he's in his second year, and I think he just played the best month of basketball of his career. I truly do. I think February was his best best month he's ever had. He shot pretty well as far as his numbers goes, both from the floor, from three-point range, uh, from the free-throw line. And like you said, he's kind of making an impact everywhere. He's, he's grabbing boards. He's scoring, uh, you know, two blocks, two steals last night. You know, the, the book's not closed on, on Poku yet. I think that, you know, some, some fans maybe kind of gave up hope because he was first-round pick and he looked so raw. But he was always going to be raw. He was always a project. If he continues this trajectory of, of you know, kind of slow improvement, you know, he's so young. He's going to be just fine if he continues improving like this. But but the signs are there. You know, I think that I think that the uh, the arrows pointing up on Poku. I'll say that. All right. Uh, next up, Oklahoma City, a game at Denver tomorrow night at eight o'clock. Friday at home against the Timberwolves at seven o'clock, and then a Sunday game with Utah at six o'clock. Twenty games left on the schedule for Oklahoma City. Uh, Thunder have the first, uh, the fourth worst record in the league, but they're three and a half games behind Houston for that three spot. And you know your percentages go up to get more ping pong balls in the draft lottery if you can finish in the top three. But we shall see. Uh, MVP race. Uh, a lot of people like Joel Embiid. Now he has James Harden there in Philly with him. Nikola Jokic, Steph, uh, Giannis, uh, DeMar DeRozan, I think is getting some more looks from people. He's been tremendous. And the Bulls, you think about where they are. Number two in the Eastern Conference standings. I mean, who expected the East to look like this? Miami one, Chicago two, Philly three, and the Cavaliers four. Uh, in the Eastern Conference standings right now. Uh, but what about Ja Morant, too? 52 last night for Memphis. How, how would you rank your top three MVP candidates at this juncture? Yeah, it's crazy because, you know, MVP has you know long been kind of a, a guards game or a, a sports game, but the big men are dominating this year. I, I think, for me, I mean, Jokic is having such a special season. Uh, Embiid... To me, it's it's those two right now. I'd probably go one Jokic, two Embiid, and three. I'd probably go Giannis. But you know, Jaw is is climbing the ranks. I mean, if the Grizzlies end up with like the the second or third best record in the NBA, uh, you, you really have to consider Jaw. His numbers aren't as good as Embiid's or Jokic's or or Giannis's, but those are improving too. And you know, narrative is strong. When it comes to MVP, both in the NBA and the NFL, so I think that Jaw probably has the best story out of everybody and the best narrative. But right now, I'd, I'd give it to one of the two big men, Jokic or Embiid. Let me ask you this, Brandon. Looking ahead to this off season, let's say this is the off season where Sam Presti decides to unload a couple of those future draft picks and try and go get a veteran piece for this team as he makes the effort to build a championship roster over the next couple of years here in Oklahoma City. Who do you think that piece could be? We may have lost Brandon. I heard, I heard a beep there. I heard a beep, too. I heard a beep. Uh, maybe he got ejected uh, from the game, from the uh, conversation. We can call him back real quick if you want. Uh, we got a couple minutes. So, yeah, there was a there was a very loud beep, and I think Brandon uh, – would Sam Presti cut him off? Was he giving away too much information? I'm not sure. But, yes, next up for Oklahoma City, a game with Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets tomorrow night at 8 o'clock, and then the Timberwolves against uh, three-point 
shootout champion Carl Anthony Towns and uh, the Timberwolves, 7 o'clock Friday night. Utah coming to the Paycom Center on Sunday night at 6 o'clock. As I said, there are 20 games left on the regular season schedule. It is pretty amazing. Memphis, again, third best record in the West. I, you know, I don't think, particularly with the Suns and Chris Paul's injury, which is a six- to eight-week deal, now he's going to be ready, they hope. Uh, depends on how healthy he's going to be for the playoffs. Uh, but it's going to be very interesting to see how things play out in the NBA this year because I don't look at one team that I say that is the – now, if Chris Paul's healthy and hadn't had this injury, you, you've got to point to Phoenix, and I would still point to Phoenix, but I just don't think we know. All right, Brandon, we got you back. We were wondering if you were giving us so much insight that Sam Presti's people cut you off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, too much insider info, too much leaking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but no, the question I was in the middle of asking there, Brandon, is if this is the offseason where Sam Presti decides he can afford to unload a couple of those future draft picks to try and get a veteran piece for this Oklahoma City basketball team, who are, who's a guy maybe that you think would fit that mold for OKC? Uh, you know, I think that the popular names would be probably Bradley Bill because his name always comes up, you know, when teams are looking to, to get a experienced, good vet. I still think that he stays in Washington. Uh, you know, people say Damian Lillard. I think he's going to stay in Portland. Uh, somebody that intrigues me would be somebody more like Miles Turner from the Pacers. I mean, he's a, he's a seven-footer who plays good defense, blocks shots. He could be a defensive anchor, and he shoots threes. If you could get like him and then you get like a Jabari Smith Jr. or a Chet Holmgren to match up with him in the draft, I mean, that's a great four and five, and it would complement Josh Giddy and SGA and Dort and Trey Mann kind of perfectly. So I would think it would be a guy like that. Like I'd look at a guy like the Miles Turner. Uh, you know, now you could go crazy and say the Pelicans need to trade Zion Williamson and maybe they really go all in and throw a huge package. I don't see anything like that happening, but, hey, you never know. You know, we were talking about Memphis, again, third best record in the West, and I tell you, he's been a really good fit there, too, man. And he's, you talk about throwing an outlet pass, Steven Adams, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we saw some of that, you know, in Oklahoma City. That, Of course, the famous one was the Dennis Schroeder, uh, you know, touchdown pass that the buzzer beater uh, to beat the uh, Timberwolves actually went into overtime, and then they won. But, yeah, I mean, I think uh, Steven – in Memphis is kind of a perfect pair. You know, they've kind of always famously been the the grit and grind team, and Steven fits that perfectly and just kind of the culture. But, man, you go from Russell Westbrook all those years to John Morant, it's kind of seamless now, I think, for Steven Adams. And I don't know, all those years, uh, Oklahoma quietly had, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in the nation and Steven Adams. We just didn't know it. Yeah, and the highlight plays last night, the shot from Morant, the dunk, everything. uh, That's a fun team to watch, no doubt, Memphis. And, uh, again, it's going to be a wild postseason of the NBA, no doubt about it. You're looking like right now the Nets, and I know they've had the Kyrie issue all year. Kevin Durant's been out with an injury, but you look at James Harden now in Philadelphia. They would be in the play-in tournament right now, the Nets. Uh, in the East. And again, uh, Billy Donovan has got to be in the conversation for Coach of the Year. Very serious contender to win uh, Coach of the Year in the NBA, what what the Bulls have done, no doubt. Brandon, as usual, great stuff. You're always uh, very, uh, very gracious to give us your time here every week. We appreciate it. We'll talk again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right, there you go. Brandon Rabar joining us here on Steel Man and Thune at noon on a Tuesday edition. Uh, coming up, 
at 135. Jesse Crittenden, the sports editor, Norman Transcript. We'll talk Sooner football and basketball with Jesse coming up a little bit later on. Take a break right here. One more segment to go for hour number one. Stay with us on the ref. Okay, we are back again. Uh, Sooner basketball tonight against uh, the West Virginia Mountaineers, 6 o'clock on ESPN2. The last couple games for the Mountaineers, they played well. They've lost both. They are in a six-game losing streak, but a three-point loss at Iowa State and a one-point loss at home versus Texas. Uh, the Sooners won the first meeting in Morgantown, 72-62 was the final. That was a huge night for Tanner Groves, 21 points and six rebounds. That was also a game where Marvin Johnson came in, uh, Parker made some plays down the stretch. Then, of course, he got the, the injury, uh, but he came back, and again, he was uh, really good, obviously, in Bedlam, made the big steal and layup in uh, overtime to seal it for the Sooners, so we'll see what happens tonight. What's going on? Are you thinking Baylor? You know, they've, they've had injury issues, obviously, huge injury issues. But, man, that team right now, they, they looked like they were going to get blown out at home early by Kansas over the weekend. They rallied. They won that game by 10. Then they went in Austin last night, 68-61. With seven players. Yeah. I mean, Baylor's a special team. Man, Baylor is a team that's going to go deep in March. And I, I, I don't know. Gonzaga's kind of a wild card to me. I think over the first 10, 15 games of the season, I figured, okay, this team's going to cruise to a national title. I'm not as sold on them anymore, and I think they still have what it takes to make a run to the Final Four, but I do think they're more vulnerable than Baylor is. And so, to me, that is the top tier across college basketball right now. Those are the two teams, and, you know... (laughs) Those are two teams that obviously met in the national championship game last year, so it's no surprise that they're right back here. But I think in 2022, as in 2021, I perceive that there is a divide between those two and the rest of the field. And that's not to say that they might not trip up somewhere along the way. I'm not... I'm not saying it's a foregone conclusion that Gonzaga and Baylor aren't going or going to be uh, matched up for another national title again come the beginning of April. But what I am saying is I think the safe money is on one of those two programs. Uh, I like what Kentucky's done. Obviously, you like the direction that Texas Tech's headed in here late in the season. They've put together some good wins. You can never count out Kansas and Bill Self. It's shaping up to very to be a very intriguing month of March, and I think what adds to the intrigue is the fact that you have so many mid-major programs that are proving they're capable of potentially being Cinderella. There are some legit contenders at the mid-major level. You're talking about teams like St. Mary's, which Houston. beat Gonzaga. Houston yeah. is outstanding. South Dakota State is making a mockery of the Summit League. Just went through the league undefeated. Wyoming has been really nice out of the Mountain West. So, to me... Whenever we get to March, what generates excitement is when there's no clear gap between one team or a couple teams and the rest of the field. And even though I would elevate Gonzaga and Baylor above the rest right now, I don't think there's necessarily a massive chasm between Mm. them and the rest of college basketball. So I love it when it's legitimately anybody's game going into March and you have a strong mid-major presence because we live for the Cinderella stories. Right, Mike? That's what we look forward to the most in March. Yeah, and uh, who were we talking about with Brandon Rabar uh, in uh, very much in the MVP conversation? We were talking about John Morant, right? 
And, uh, you know, he had 52 last night, and he's been outstanding. Memphis is the three seed in the West right now, and Murray State's 28-2. and two. Uh, And, you know, the job that Kelvin Sampson has done at Houston has been uh, remarkable. He's done a fantastic job there. You know, kind of resurrected that program in some ways. And I think back to those Houston teams, uh, the Five Slamma Jamma team we were talking about the other day that lost in the 83 game to NC State and Albuquerque. Um, You know, and, and Kelvin, it's good to see him back in college coaching. He messed up, made some mistakes, you know, too much activity on the cell phone, got caught. Wasn't good, but I always like Kelvin and his wife, Karen, and, uh, you know, Kellen just really uh, always enjoyed their company when they were here, when I got to see him, and I'm glad Kelvin, he always seemed like a college coach to me, and I know he was an assistant in the NBA and uh, put in his time in the NBA and then uh, was able to get back into college coaching, and again, he's done a really, really good job. Uh, with the Houston Cougars, no doubt about it. it. It feels like we may have kind of the most wide open March Madness and NBA playoffs we've had in in a long time. You know, where you don't just look at one team. Like I said, I think Phoenix would be that team in the NBA. Uh, but with Chris Paul's injury, we'll see how he comes back. I mean, it's a thumb. It's not like it's a knee or a hamstring. He'll probably come back all right. And when the top six teams in college basketball all lose on the same day, yeah, man, that's as good of a March primer as you can have. Yeah. Uh, we got to talk about uh, next hour where we put March Madness as an event, and we'll get to that and rank kind of the overall sporting events. You can't really rank seasons because I think everybody around here would say college football clearly would be the number one season. But just in terms of sporting events or times of the year, we'll get into that coming up here in a little bit. We also have Jesse Crittenden coming up, Norman Transcript Sports Editor. We'll talk Sooner Hoops, West Virginia, on the docket tonight, 6 o'clock at the LNC, and we'll get into Sooner football as well. Thank you, Tim Lasher and your great company, Lasher Home Comfort Systems. Give them a call for all of your, uh, you know, you need to get your air conditioning system revamped, whatever. Give them a call. They'll do a great job for you. One more hour to go. Keep it here. I, uh, hour number two, what's up on your Tuesday? Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley bringing you hour number two here on Steelman and Thune, exit 72 in Paul's Valley for a great deal on a vehicle from the Seth Wadley Auto Group and that great guarantee of oil changes and engines for life on newer used gas or diesel at no additional cost to you. All right, you're, you're telling me Cowherd is at it again? Cowherd has spoken. What? Am I going to get angry at this? You might. Maybe I don't know. It's I just it's, blocked Mule Shoe, man. I understand. Yesterday. It's, well, it's Cow Herd spouting his Mule Shoe propaganda. Oh man! All right, you well, want to hear this? Yeah, why not? Yeah, sure. You know, this idea just popped into my head. I'm always looking for new podcasts, YouTubers at the volume, my new podcast company. Why shouldn't I do a Saturday podcast on USC football? You know, make it about 20 weeks, talk about all their victories, Pac-10 titles with Lincoln Riley, recruiting five-star commitments. Easy to find a sponsor, they'd line up. I love recruiting elite talent. Really? There you go. When uh, is 
Mule Shoe going to divorce divorce his wife, and uh, are he and Cowherd going to marry, or what? I mean, this is a pretty serious relationship we've got going First on. First off, I love how Cowherd is so out of touch with college football that he called the Pac-12 the Pac-10. Uh, he did, didn't he? All right, yeah. He's puffing on a cigar there. Yeah, secondly, I, I know none of you listeners can actually see the clip on social media that we just played, but... He's ripping a stogie this whole time as he's just sitting there talking. He's like out on a park bench somewhere, smoking a cigar, babbling about USC football. Here's the deal. I like Cal Hurd. I think he is the best in the business at coming up with angles. He's very articulate. He's always, you can tell, he puts a lot of effort into his show. I think he's really good. I do. But this stuff is driving me crazy. And um, he is he is blowing that cigar smoke directly at the Sooner Nation right there. Is he not? No, he is. I mean, there's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Old mule shoe out there, you know, I just, I was trying to get him to block me, and yes, you can call me ridiculous or whatever. I've been, I know, I know. But it's this kind of stuff that drives me insane. And, hey, I've made progress. I was about to uh, tweet the other day on the USC beach photo uh, when uh, Muleshoe sent that out, I hope you get eaten by a shark, and I held off. So I'm making some progress. Let's go ahead and get to the Bob clip. Let's get a reasonable human being on here. This was, you know, and all these people saying, oh, man, Brent Venables, man, he's unproven. You got it, man. It's Oklahoma. Why aren't you getting a head coach? Well, was Bob Stoops a head coach? Was Barry Switzer a head coach? Was Bud Wilkinson a head coach? How many national titles do the Sooners have? Seven? Seven. How many national titles between Bud, Bob, and Barry are there? Seven. Seven. How many of those guys previously were a head coach before coming to Oklahoma? The answer is zero. All right. So, again, these ill-informed people out there. And, again, I think Cowherd does a really good job. I really do. But this stuff, I mean, his romance with Muleshoe is bordering on frightening. And, you know, Muleshoe's loving it because he's like, yeah, I'm out here in L.A. and I got cow herd, and I got all these people out here. You know he's doing that. You know he is. Bob Stoops, again, on the rush recently, a man who speaks the truth, an honest man that you can trust. He's not going to run off in the middle of the night. He's just a solid individual and a heck of a football coach. And, uh, you know, Tyler and Teddy on the rush ask him about people questioning Brent's experience and Oklahoma bringing him in as, as a head coach. Well, that, that doesn't seem to be logical, does it? I mean, surely they're smarter than that. I wasn't a head coach before here. Lincoln Riley wasn't a head coach before he, before he took over. Barry Switzer wasn't a head coach when he took over. Just our history here tells you that's, that's foolish to say that, but uh, it doesn't matter what they say. Brent, Brent's a damn good coach. Everybody knows it. Uh, his background coming in to take over is light years ahead of what mine was, Lincoln's, and about most other people, too. Guy's been in eight national championship games. You can go on and on and on. He's ready for this, and uh, and I can't wait to watch it. Boom! There you go, man. That That's real talk right there. 
it's going to be uh, it's going to be hard. And again, I'm trying, folks. Uh, I'm not looking at any more tweets. And the other part of it, like I've always said, there's going to be another way because he he is going to win games out there, and people are going to say, "Man, look at this." And you're going to see some highlights. You're going to see a lot of offense. You're going to see a lot of kids who are, you know, into themselves that want that attention going out to play for him. There's no doubt. And I've said many times, USC is a sleeping giant. They have every bit the history that Oklahoma has. And they've had they've won, you know, their matchups with Oklahoma. They wins a PD, I think it's what, like five and three USC, maybe one the one tie back in the early 70s out in the Coliseum. Uh, again, question is, can he win a national championship? Other than that, they're going to end up winning a lot of football games. But you know what Sooner fans need? Spring football. They need the spring game. They need to get to next season. And, uh, yeah, I think a lot of the OU fans have moved on. Here's what, Finally, I, don't here's you? what I just want to emphasize, Mike. I just want to emphasize that when I say time and time again – Brent Venables is the most qualified first-time head coach in the history of college football. That's not at all hyperbolic. That is the gospel truth. If you look at Brent Venables' resume compared to other men who have stepped into a head coaching role for the first time, Venables' resume dwarfs any any competitor. Who would be a comparable, comparable guy? Kirby Smart, maybe? I, sure, I right? guess. I guess because he came from Nick Saban's staff. But, I mean, Brent, how many times do you get a coordinator who had those kind of stats and three national championships on his resume, right? You don't. And and that's part of the reason why I was so convinced for the longest time, and I remember pounding the table and saying this for years and years, no, Brent Venables is never going to be a head coach because his name would keep coming up, right, for the Kansas State job or the Auburn job or the job here, there, everywhere. And I would tell everybody, no, I don't think there's any way Brent Menables is going to become a head coach because at the point he is in his career, if you haven't already accepted a head coaching job, that's a pretty solid indication that you don't want to be a head coach. And yeah, you, we all thought it was strange, right? Because we're all like, man, Brent is the guy. Brent's a guy that should be up for all these jobs. And what we didn't know was Brent was just waiting, and he actually had a few opportunities that we didn't know about. And when Oklahoma came calling, he was ready to – Answer that call and say, "Let's go." And why would because why would you put yourself in a situation where you take a job that is below what you feel your value is as a football coach? If you know that one day you're going to get the call and you're going to be in the conversation to be the next head football coach at the at the University of Oklahoma, why would you feel the need to go out on a limb and put yourself in a situation where all of a sudden you're charged with resurrecting a program as a head coach? If you're making seven figures as a coordinator and you're at the top of your game as a coach and there is nobody that compares to you across the nation in terms of your ability to coordinate defense, I feel like a lot of people in Brent Venable's shoes would have jumped at the first opportunity to be head coach. And to a certain extent, that's natural. That is the natural desire, the natural innate human desire for more power, more money, more in general. And yet Brent Venables was content with where he was at Clemson, and he was content to ride it out as long as necessary until a job that he truly wanted, not a job that he would take, not a job that he would 
maybe like to receive an offer for, but a job that he truly in his heart wanted. He waited for that opportunity to come along. Yeah, and uh, I, I just love the fit, and, and I like somebody who's on fire for OU, you know. And we, we kind of thought that Lincoln, he was on fire for OU, and we found out that he wasn't that on fire for OU as much as we anticipated. But I think Brent is. I think he absolutely is. So we'll see. And that doesn't mean that Oklahoma's going to go out and win a national championship in the next three to five years. But, again, I, uh, I like this new regime. I like the way they're going about things. I like what I'm hearing. I like what I'm seeing. Uh, we'll see what the results look like this fall. But um, I don't know. I, I think Oklahoma fans are, are ready to see what happens. And spring football can't get here soon enough. Here's what I want to ask you guys, all right, and ladies, on the text line today, the Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. That's 405-651-3439. Do you want the Sooners now to get to the SEC sooner or later? What do you think? Would you like to see Oklahoma? You know, clearly they're not going to be in the SEC next fall. But do you want to see the Sooners get to the SEC sooner or later right now? Why or why not? We'll get to your text coming up here in a little bit. Jesse Crittenden on the way from the Norman Transcript at 135. By the way, you know what I think is awesome, Mike? You know what I think is a great situation for Brent Venables and his staff and his football program to be in? Think back. When was the last time preseason expectations for the Sooners were this low? Honestly. Man, would you have to go back to like one of the Landry Jones years, maybe? I, I think know. you would. Because they went to the Sugar Bowl in 2013, and that wasn't unforeseen. And in 2014, right, it was Katy Perry that made the wheels fall off. But heading into that season, which the Sooners finished at 8 and 5, it, with that Russell Athletic Bowl thrashing at the hands of, <laughs> guess who? Brent Venables and Clemson. Mm hmm. They still were heading into that season uh, with national title hopes and expectations. And so. I think you do have to go back to the Jones era, and that's probably at least a decade since preseason expectations for Oklahoma were this low. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's a good question. Maybe people can answer that on the text line, too. 405-651-3439. That is our uh, text line, Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. Uh, was the worst decision that Trevor Knight ever made, not responding to Katy Perry? And, and he tried to come back later, remember? After, I guess, he broke up with uh, his girl back in the day. Speaking of breaking up with his girl, via the Air Comfort Solutions text line, Mule Shoe Story. I went to college in Nebraska. Hey, shout out to the 402. Uh, a roommate of mine was from Amarillo, Texas. Mm -hmm. His girlfriend came up to join him. One semester later, she dumped him and moved on. Where was she from? Mule Shoe, Texas. Yeah, well. There is something in the water in that town. They cut ties quickly in Mule Shoe, I guess. I guess that's that's the way they roll. All Flaky. right. We're going to take a break right here, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks again to the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. We're with you on a Tuesday. Mike Steele, Parker Thune, Steelman and Thune, way afternoon. Don't forget, we've got Locked In coming up with Parker and Tyler McComas at the top of the hour, followed by The Rush at 3 o'clock with Tyler and Teddy. Everybody, hope you're having a great Tuesday. Let's come back. Let's get to the text line next here on The Ref.
All right, thank you again to the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley, sponsoring our number two here on uh, the Home of Sooner Fans, the Ref Radio Network, Steelman and Thune, with you uh, locked in at the top of the hour. And yes, Riverwind Casino continues with some great promotions for the month of March. How about the $80,000 courtside cash promotion? Get out there, play with your wild card until midnight tonight. Try and get five times the entries. On your wild card, it's not that difficult. Just go out and play, get some points in your wild card, get five times the entries for the drawing on Friday night, and then go out there and win your share of $80,000 in cash and bonus play. And maybe you'll be one of the two grand prize winners also who will earn extra cash and bonus play in the drawing just before midnight. They also have an opportunity coming up later this month for you to land into luxury. It's the $80,000 land into luxury promotion. It begins March 13th, and the eventual grand prize winner. And again, a lot of people are going to win cash and bonus play in that promotion that starts March 13th, but be out there for the drawing on March 26th, and you have a chance to win a brand-new 2022 Cadillac XT5. And the drawing for that promotion is uh, March 26th, 7 to 11.30. And again, uh, you want to get out and play with your wild card on Sundays and Thursdays and earn 10 times the entries on your wild card for that great promotion. Riverwind truly is simply the best. All right, you want to get to the Air Comfort Solutions tax line? Let us have a look at what the listeners are saying. One says, get to the SEC yesterday. OU is going to get screwed by Big 12 refs and administrators every chance they get. Hmm, what do you think? You think there's some truth in that? Uh, I I, I don't know. I think that's, that's a little conspiracy theory for me. A little too much uh, Oliver Stone there, maybe. Yeah, I mean, look, everybody cites the 2021 Bedlam game. I I say 2021 as if it was so long ago. It was three months ago. But everybody cites that game as an example. You know, I passed interference in Oakville on Trayvon West with 20 seconds left. They didn't didn't want Oklahoma to get to the college football playoff or win the Big 12 championship. I don't think that's the case because what drives everything in college athletics, Mike. What drives everything? Money. Money. And Lord knows if Bob Bullsby had an opportunity to get a team into the college football playoff and make himself some more money, he would have done it. And he would have – I guess what I'm saying is he wouldn't have gone out of his way to ensure it didn't happen. All right. So I don't, I don't buy the theory that – that pass interference no call was somehow orchestrated by Bob Bullsby and the Big 12 Conference to yeah, make sure that, Oklahoma didn't play for another not, conference championship. That's ridiculous. But there should have been a PI call, right? Sure. Yes, there should have been. I don't think it was I don't think it was Bob Bullsby pulling the strings on that one though. Another listener says, I'd like to see the Sooners jump into the SEC sooner, 2023. Win the Big 12 one last time and then go to the SEC where Alabama and Georgia are reloading with Bryce Young leaving. Should be easy pickings with Gabriel coming back for that second season and our defense having a year under their belt. Yeah, I I like that one. Let me ask you this. Let's say that Oklahoma stays in the conference until 2025, which I don't see happening because how how convoluted is the league going to be with all the new schools coming in, right? Very much so. Uh, but if they do, what are the chances that Nick Saban is still coach at Alabama when Oklahoma gets there? If, High. You think so? High. Yeah, Nick Saban is not slowing down. 
We we'd all like to believe it's happening. We'd all like to believe Nick Saban. How is, old is Nick Saban? He's seventy years old. Okay, so he'd be 73, 74 at that time. If if Oklahoma stayed around, and I don't think they will, but would you like to see Nick Saban retired by the time Listen, Oklahoma gets the there? The entire college football universe would like to see Nick Saban retire <laughs> that's, that's because right. it's going to give <laughs> it's going to level the playing field. But yeah. the reality is. Nick Saban's not going to retire anytime soon. I don't care what anyone says. It's not happening. Why would he? I I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, will he be around if the Sooners stayed in the league and played out this contract, the grant of rights, whatever you want to call it, uh, would he still be there? And I'm with you. I think he, he, he would. Another listener says to the SEC ASAP, why prolong the inevitable? And I'm tired of road games to the football armpits of the world. Because it's the Big 12. It's Division One football. It ain't intramurals, brother. Go play intramurals, brother. No, it is. Big 12 is closer to intramural football than the SEC is. That's for sure. When I saw the phrase football armpits, I, I got a very good sense of which city would immediately pop into Steely's head. Lubbock. How many football armpits are there in the SEC? Starkville's got to be an armpit. That's a horrible place. Really? I've never been to Starkville. Well, I just remember a long time ago when the hillbillies out there in the outfield were harassing Anthony Blackman, the Oklahoma State center fielder, who was African-American, and they yes, the, now, the whole game and the whole tournament. Yes. Now, I will say this. Having been through Mississippi more than a time or two, that is a very hillbilly type of state. There are other words that could be mm-hmm. applicable. Uh, Vandy, I mean, that's not going to be a great environment, but Nashville at least is a great city, right? I mean, that'd be a cool place to road trip to. Yes, Vanderbilt as a campus yeah, is awesome. Absolutely, I've been to that campus. And it the, is outstanding. Do they have the Skip Bayless Museum there yet? I don't think so. The Skip Bayless Museum. He's is- a he's a Vandy guy. I forgot about that. Yeah, he got like a scholarship out of a Northwest class and like some prestigious. Uh, Journalist, journalism uh, scholarship to go to Vandy. Everybody thinks he's an OU grad. He's an OU fan, but he's a Vandy grad. Another listener says, Big 12 does screw us. Bedlam. How many free throws has OU shot lately? Flagrant fouls against our opponents disregarded. Get us out of here now. Um, again, if you're saying, uh, I just can't believe in some league-wide conspiracy. Do I think there is some bitterness towards Oklahoma and Texas? Yeah. Absolutely. Could that influence an official who's a human being? Maybe to a certain extent. But in terms of some coordinated conspiracy, I can't go that far. Another listener says, no way they'll have Cincinnati and those teams in when OU is here. I agree with that. I don't think so either. uh, And another one says, 2023 would be ideal. 2 plus 0 plus 2 plus 3 equals 7, as in 7 national titles. That, again, kind of feels conspiracy theory-esque to me, but I understand the uh, the equation. I understand wanting to make the math work out like that. But I think 2023 makes the most sense, and I've said that time and time again, because at that point in time, the Big 12 doesn't have any reason to cling to OU in Texas. They have 12 teams. They have a full conference again. They can let go. And I think they will. I I think something will happen again. My guess would be this would be OU's last year in the Big Twelve. Yes, and I think I, I would be surprised if it if it wasn't. So 
We'll see. All right, Air Comfort Solutions tax line, 405-651-3439. On the other hand, one listener says later is better. BV needs time to assemble a team able to compete in the SEC, and although he is extremely qualified for this job, he needs time as head coach to perfect things like clock management, game day routines, etc. I think that's a really good take. And again, I, I'm not approaching this from a oh man, Oklahoma, they're, you know, they, they get beat up in the SEC. But I do think from Brent's standpoint, yes, uh, at least a year. I mean, it, it from a fan standpoint, you want Oklahoma to get there. You want to see better matchups. You want to see them happen now. I get that. But from, you know, building the roster, this roster was built around playing Big 12 teams, right? I mean, obviously. Uh, and you're going to have to, with Jerry Schmidt back and the way they're going about their business and strength and conditioning and the kind of kids they're bringing in, maybe two years would be better. Now, again, I, I still think this next season is the last one in the league for OU. So More from the dissenters. I hate the SEC and not a fan of joining that den of thieves. I understand it's a money grab, so I really don't care. When LSU shows up to soil our stadium, though, I may have to sell my tickets. <laughs> Oh, there's there's a level below tech fans right there, LSU fans. Here's the deal. Uh, we don't know. This is very unknown. Oklahoma is one of the greatest programs in the history of college football, without a doubt, a top five all-time program. And some of these you know, polls and some of the rankings have even had Oklahoma at number one on that list. Now, right now, it's certainly Alabama. But the Sooners tradition takes a backseat to uh, nobody. And, you know, uh, but that doesn't mean that Oklahoma is going to be just as good and just as productive winning games and winning the conference in the SEC. It's a much more difficult road. What is – now, look, I don't think Oklahoma is going to get the, the the situation that Nebraska got going to the Big Ten. Uh, no. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think we would need an entire show to unpack, A, all of the issues that the move to the Big Ten created for Nebraska, and B, why this situation with Oklahoma going to the SEC does not even slightly resemble Nebraska's move to the Big Ten. You're going to have to uh, get used to stomaching some 9-3s and threes and 8-4s, and fours, you know? Maybe even on a down year, maybe even a 6-6 six and six or something like that. Uh, I'm not trying to forecast gloom and doom, but you're just playing against better competition. Uh, we shall see. Now, I think the Sooners are going to be fine, and uh, I really do in the long term. But uh, in particularly, though, they need to get to an 18-12-team team playoff quickly. That is going to make a big difference on how Sooner fans feel. Because if it stays at four, and we know it's staying at four until the end of this contract, based on what they've been saying, then uh, and that's a tough Tough road for Oklahoma to travel to get to the playoff in the SEC if they're there season after next. All right, let's talk to Jesse Crittenden about all this stuff and the Sooner Hoops game tonight. We'll do that when we get back here on the Ref Radio Network, the home of Sooner fans. All right, taking you through a Tuesday. Our thanks again to the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley, sponsoring hour number two here on Steelman and Thune, exit 72 in Paul's Valley. Great deal on a vehicle from our friends at the Seth Wadley Auto Group and that great guarantee. Oil changes and engines for life on newer used gas or diesel at no additional cost to you. Jesse Crittenden joins us, Norman Transcript Sports Editor. We appreciate your time again today, Jesse. I want to ask you the, th- the same thing we're asking our listeners on the uh, Air Comfort Solutions text line. Uh, would, it better for, would it be better for Oklahoma 
Uh, talking football here specifically, to get to the SEC sooner or later? Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, I think before all the, the chaos with, with Lincoln Riley, I, I mean, I think we all expected it to be, you know, to happen sooner rather than later. Um, I, I think, I don't know if it's about, you know, it happening right now or, or you know, after 2025, but I think, I think there is some value in letting um, Brent Venables and, and his new staff, you know, have a couple of years to recruit, uh, you know, a couple more recruiting cycles and, you know, I mean, Brent Venables and that staff, they know what they're going to need to compete in the SEC. And I think if you give them, you know, at least another year, um, you know, for another recruiting cycle to look for, for guys that can compete in the SEC, I think, I think that's going to be the way to go. Jesse, as we draw closer and closer to the dawn of spring practice for Oklahoma, just about a week away now, let me ask you this. I want to kind of put you on the spot. If you can give us three players – on both sides of the ball, so three offense, three defense, that you're really excited to see how they progress through spring ball and how they look in the spring game. And those can be incoming freshmen, those can be established veterans, those can be transfers, but three guys on either side that you're super excited to see what they look like in an Oklahoma uniform over the next few weeks. Man, you you really are putting me on the spot. I feel like I'm, I'm taking a test, like taking an exam. But uh, pop, pop quiz. <laughs> No, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I, I think I, I really think the first one um, that seems like an obvious answer, but I, I'm really I'm really excited to see um, Dylan Gabriel. I mean, I think I think that's the easy answer. Um, but I, I'm really excited to see. I mean, we I mean they, they came out and said he is the starting quarterback um, for next season. So I'm really excited to see what he what he looks like in this offense. How he gels. Um, with the other pieces, I mean, there's going to be a lot of freshmen that he works with too. So um, I'm, I'm excited to see uh, what that looks like. Um, I think another one um, is, or let's go to defense. I think another one is Jaron Kanak. I'm really excited about um, what he looks like as an incoming freshman on the defensive side of the ball at, you know, as a linebacker. Um, I think he's a guy that could see some time. Uh, Kobe McKenzie, obviously another one. Uh, that that I'm really excited about. Um, looking at additional freshmen, I mean, I think I, I think Jacob Sexton is, is kind of an under the radar guy that I think mm. um, could. I mean, from Edmond, I think he's a guy that that I'm really excited to see um, what he'll do. And, and then looking at established guys, I'm I'm really excited to see. I mean, Eric Gray. I don't think he's been a guy that's been talked about a ton, and I think this last season was was kind of up and down for him. And, you know, and I think Kennedy Brooks kind of established himself as the season went on. But, I mean, with, with Kennedy Brooks gone, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see if there's, if there's new ways that Eric Gray is implemented in the offense, how much of a bigger role um, he gets. I think he's kind of a guy that's not being talked about a ton. That um, you, I don't know if there's a lot of pressure on him, but, you know, he, he could see a bigger role. You know, we'll see. Um, I don't know how many guys that is. How many, how many guys do I have left? Uh, I think you hit all six. Okay, cool. I'm we're, let's go with six. There you go. B plus. Very good. B plus. Well, we'll give you an A. Actually, we're grading on a curve here, uh, because I, I was always wanting to be graded on a curve. So anyway. Oh, okay. All right, Jesse Crittenden joining us, Norman Transcript Sports Editor. All right, I fire another football question at you. This is another one that we asked our listeners the other day. Curious to get your response. 
What is a uh, realistic, where should the bar be set? I mean, after all, this is Oklahoma. Where should the bar be set for Brent Venables in terms of him having a successful first year at OU? That's that's a really good question, uh, and I think a lot I think a lot of the the questions or expectations were answered with just how well he and his staff did with this new recruiting class. I mean, to, to make it into the top ten um, with the limited time they had and the in, instability um, is is nothing short of impressive. So, I mean, I, I really think there's every reason to be to expect that that this team is going to compete for a Big Twelve title next year. I mean, I really do. I mean, I think there's there's still going to be um, a lot of talent on both sides of the ball that will that will be here from from last year's team, and, and plug in some of these new guys that I really do think have a chance to to compete and have an impact right away. Uh, I mean, other other I mean, it, it's going to be tough, obviously, but I mean, Texas is the only team, only Big Twelve team that that had a, a you know a higher recruiting ranking than Oklahoma, and that's been the case for years, and that hasn't stopped Oklahoma from having the advantage in that in in that matchup. So. I really think there's every reason to believe that this team will be competitive in the Big 12, look for another Big 12 title. I'm not even really thinking about the playoffs right now. I mean, maybe that happens, maybe it doesn't. And, you know, this is a first-year staff. But if anybody is, is, if anybody is prepared to come in and continue the success that OU has had, it's Brent Venables. And I, and I don't know if anything could be quite as disappointing as this last season was. That's a very good point, Jesse, and probably something yeah, that no hasn't doubt. been brought up enough. But, hey, let's quickly turn our attention to the hardwood. And the Sooners got a big one tonight against West Virginia, which is not what you would categorize as a marquee opponent, but nonetheless a win that the Sooners absolutely have to have as they prepare for a weekend road trip to Bramlage Coliseum where they haven't won since 2012. How are you feeling tonight about the Sooners' tilt with the Mountaineers? Yeah, I think I – think- I think OU has to feel pretty good. I mean, they beat um, this Mountaineers team in West Virginia uh, last month, and they did that essentially without Elijah Harkless. I mean, Harkless only played four minutes in that game, and and obviously Harkless is out for the season. But they kind of already have experience playing this team without Elijah Harkless. Now, I mean, it's going to be tough. West Virginia needs a win, too, and and they've, they've lost a couple of really just heartbreakers these last couple games. I mean, I think they lost to West to, or excuse me, to Iowa State and to Texas by a combined four points in their in their last two games. But I mean, I think I mean this is senior night for Oklahoma. They've got a lot of senior rotation players that you know that I think really want to try to, to you know one last desperate gasp at, at making a tournament berth. And um, they've they've already beat this team once. So, I mean, I think I mean I think if you're an OU fan, you've got to feel pretty confident about this matchup tonight. All right, uh, Jesse, you know, you look at what the Sooners have to do, and obviously they, they've got to win out and then hope maybe win a game, and more than likely it would be, again, West Virginia. But the thing is, uh, Kansas State, you know, Bramlage has been very difficult. So we're, we're kind of uh, give, trying to give the Sooner fans a little, uh, you know, there's a place called Hope, you know, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. But it certainly doesn't look realistic. Um, so – is there any way I, – I said the only way it could be a disappointment because it's Porter Moser's first year at OU, and I, I think it's still an excellent hire. But if somehow, you know, you lose to West Virginia, you, you lose to Kansas State, and you end up with a record below 500, that's, that's the only way I think you could call it a disappointment. Or am I wrong in my assessment there? 
No, I, I completely agree. I think this year was going to be was going to be kind of tough for a lot of reasons. Like you said, it, it's Porter Moser's first year. This this team was kind of put together from scratch with, with not a whole lot of time to do so. Uh, and then they they got off to that great start, you know, that twelve and three start that I think was a little misleading. Uh, just because, I mean, they it, they had some good wins in that stretch that looked good at the time. I mean, Florida uh, neutral side against Arkansas. But, I mean, I, I think those teams haven't quite panned out to be what the preseason expectations were. And, and really, the truth is that this team has been competitive for a lot of Big 12 play. They've just lost some close games down the stretch. So I, I don't think missing the tournament would be – is a disappointment. But, yeah, I think if they lose these next couple of games and, and then flame out in the tournament, I do think that would be at least a little disappointing. Jesse, we appreciate you coming on with us, man. I think we've got a, a new star in the making here. Uh, not just a print star, but a, uh, a radio guest star here. And you know what? We created him, Parker. We that created we this monster is what we did. We Frankensteined <laughs> him together as a print star and a future radio star. I think he's here. I think he's arrived. No, I, I, I owe it all to you guys, and I, and I really, I mean, it's the Jesse's Girl intro that really pumps me up every <laughs> Parker yeah. is, uh, he's pretty good with those. He's really good with those. Thank you, Jesse. We appreciate it. I appreciate you guys. All right, Jesse Crinton joining us, Norman Transcript Sports Editor. We'll break right here, and we'll come back, and uh, we'll hear from Porter Moser on the matchup tonight, Oklahoma-West Virginia, 6 o'clock on ESPN2. Can the Sooners find the win column against the Mountaineers? They should. They should. Let's see if they can get it done tonight. We'll hear from the OU coach and from Tanner Groves when we get back. Okay, getting ready to close it out here on a Tuesday. We have locked in uh, with Parker and Tyler McComas coming up at the top of the hour and then the rush at 3 o'clock here on the home of Sooner fans, Ref Radio Network. Good Tuesday to you if you're just joining us. Sooners and uh, West Virginia tonight, 6 o'clock at the LNC on ESPN2. Oklahoma won the first meeting between these two squads in Morgantown. 72-62. Tanner Groves led the way with 21 points and 6 rebounds. That was a, that was a nice road dub for Oklahoma. Let's hear from uh, Sooner coach Porter Moser on the matchup tonight and uh, evaluating uh, this matchup he says that, uh, you know, his Sooners actually played at a very high level in Morgantown. You know, Marvin made some good plays. Jacob Grove made some good plays. Bijan made some good plays. So we got a lot of depth from that game. And if you remember, Ethan Shagwar didn't play. He was out as well. So, you know, he's he's in the lineup. Um, you know, AK got in there. But we got a lot of contributions from a lot of different guys. Um, I remember Marvin and um, Jacob, uh, Jalen, and, you know, uh, Bijan all made a bunch of good plays that game. Mo made a bunch of good plays that game. So you can see when we win, we get, we get help from multiple guys, and that's just the way we are. All right. Uh, Tanner Groves, I thought, played very well in the Bedlam game, and the Sooners survived, winning in overtime, nearly uh, blew it in regulation. But uh, the Sooners regained their composure and won the game in overtime, and Tanner Groves hoping that's a good uh, sign for the rest of the season for OU. Yeah, man, I mean – we're just battling. I mean, you know, usually it's the team that that uh, that kind of makes that late push and forces overtime that usually comes out on top. But, you know, we, we stuck together. We battled. And, you know, we, we didn't let that run affect us. And, and we just kept grinding. And, you know, it was just a huge win for us to come out with, uh, you know, end the losing streak and, you know, hopefully get hot here at the end of the year. But, no, it means a lot. that And it just shows, you know, 
a testament to you know the culture and in, in our group and and uh, you know and just how bad we want to win. Tanner Grove still leads Oklahoma in scoring this season, twelve point one points per game, which is pretty yeah. remarkable considering that he hasn't been scoring a whole heck of a lot lately. No, no, and uh, you know and things change for him. I think in conference play a little bit. He's he's had a good year. He, I would say you know. Kind of, what would you say? A good year, decent year for Tanner Groves? It's a streaky year. Yeah. A very a up way, and down year. That's a good way to put it. I, I think he plays hard, and uh, I think maybe the expectations were a little out of whack because of the game he had against Kansas in the NCAA tournament. But he's playing against bigger guys and uh, more highly skilled guys, obviously, than he's ever played against before at this level. Uh, but I think he plays hard. I, I think he. Uh, I love what he said about mental health to uh, open up his uh, Zoom uh, you know, interview session with the writers the other day. I thought that was really cool. So, by the way, though, one thing, once the Zoom press conferences go away, the world will be a better place. I agree with you. Because the audio is just horrific. Uh, I mean, it's just not good. And a lot of times the video is less than standard. I understand why we've done it. But, you know, I hope there aren't a lot of SIDs and people around the country going, you know what, we just need to stick with this. No, you yeah. need better stuff. Yeah, I tell you what, TV reporters and photogs, their job has gotten a lot easier yeah. over the last two years, but it's also taken a sharp decline in quality. Oh, the quality is, I mean, some of the stuff, I, I guarantee you, I wouldn't be airing that back in the day. Uh-huh, exactly. I mean, that's, that's the only it used to the be only that. way you can get it right now. Now, if you know, if if the uh, uh, the post game, you know, at the podium, that stuff's great. That's still fine. But the Zoom stuff, and I understand at least we're trying to do it and, and get the information out there. But that Porter Moser audio right there, I wouldn't be airing that before the pandemic. I'd be like, man, can you give me some better audio? We can't put that on the air. I know it used to be that was you know that was a conversation that you'd be having with everybody in the room like oh, do do we do we air, do we air this? this? Well, this is very up, very yeah. clearly substandard. Are we really going to put this on television? And now today it's just like well, yep, go ahead, throw yeah. it on there. So again, and I look, I don't think the listeners, yeah, you know, care about that a ton. But no, they'll take would, what they can get. We we would love to give you some better audio. That's why whenever I have a chance to get post game, I'll get T Rose post game. You know with Porter because it's always going to be good. It's always, well, he asks really good questions. The audio is going to be top-notch, so I try and get that. I'm always, TJ, where's the audio? So, anyway. All right, uh, so tonight, 6 o'clock on ESPN2. It's a big week, man. You've got Bedlam basketball tomorrow night. Jenny Baranchek and company going to Stillwater to play the Cowgirls. Huge gymnastics matchup. Number one versus number two, Oklahoma and Michigan, Friday night, 745 at the Lloyd Noble Center. K.J. Kendler and company trying to beat the Wolverines on the mat, and uh, that's going to be huge. That's going to be on ESPN2, by the way. But get on out there and support the Sooner women uh, coming up on Friday at the Lloyd Noble Center in that meet against Michigan. Man, those gymnasts. They are unbelievable. I have so much respect for the the gymnasts and what they go through and how they train and you know some of the uh, the risk in some of the events. It's just kind of like we watched. Uh, yes, I'm a whiny little soy boy. You know it. The the series Cheer on Netflix, which goes through Navarro Junior College, and they also it's uh, Trinity Valley, their rival, uh, and how they bring in all these chops. Uh, top cheerleading prospects and all the you know the lifts they do and the throws they drew and everything. I'm telling you what, man, that's tough stuff. And they are they are 
really good athletes, big time, major props. That's uh, I don't think I could do a cartwheel. I know I couldn't now. Could you do one back in the day at any point? I think I've cartwheeled maybe twice in my life, and that was – I think one was after a six, maybe a 12-pack back in college. Didn't turn out very well. Okay. And then once as a kid, and I pulled that one off. I wonder if I could still cartwheel. Naturally – being at the stage I am in life, I haven't tried cartwheeling in many years. Yeah, but there's no reason to try and cartwheel. No, no and there's in fact, not. see, because and you don't drink either, so there's no way you're going to attempt a cartwheel. I mean, you drink the good stuff, the pure stuff, not the adult stuff. So you're not going to go. I need to get watch this, guys. Here's a cartwheel. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks to the uh, folks at the Seth Wadley Auto Group. You've got Locked In coming up next. Have a great Tuesday.